The Capstone Project for every classical Christian student is their senior thesis. Senior Christina Burkhalter joins me on this episode to share the thesis that she wrote, presented, and defended on what she calls the art of classical education as an effort to restore the joy of learning. She presents some of her thoughtful research and reflects on her own firsthand experience through her K-12 school journey. Her enthusiasm is contagious and a good reminder to all of us as parents and educators alike why this effort to raise up the next generation in classical Christian schools is so critical and fruitful. Join me for this episode of Basecamp Live. Mountains, we all face them as we seek to influence the next generation. Get equipped to conquer the challenges, summit the peak, and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. We call it Ancient Future Education for Raising the Next Generation. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Now your host, Davies Owens. Welcome to Basecamp. Summer is upon us, and I'm looking forward to seeing many of you at the SCL and ACCS Summer Conferences in June, both in Dallas. If you're there, stop by the Basecamp Live booth. I'd love to meet you in person. If you're not attending, I as always love to hear from you. Good old email, info at basecamplive.com, or shoot me a text at the 833-595-2929. Well, thanks as always to our sponsors, Classical Academic Press, the Focus Group, CLT, that's the Classic Learning Test, as well as the Rafiki Foundation. They're doing amazing work uh, launching schools and building programs all around Africa and now here in the U.S. Well, let's jump into my winsome conversation with senior Christina burkhalter who's graduating this month from the Christian Heritage Classical School in Longview, Texas. Well, Christina, welcome to Basecamp Live. So good to have you on. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. You know, we we definitely need to have more students on our show. I mean, this whole effort of raising the next generation. We have lots of teachers, lots of parent types, but you are the whole reason we're here, our students. So it's wonderful to have you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So you're at Christian Heritage Classical School in Longview, Texas. Yes, sir. So I am a part of a school that has an incredible education program. I'm very grateful to be here. And it is, it's been an incredible experience. I've been here, this is my eighth year, I think. I came in fifth grade and started out with my mom as a teacher, which was a great adjustment. I'm super grateful for her and all the incredible teachers that we have here. Yeah. So you've been, so where were you before you started fifth grade? You were at a different kind of school or what were you doing? So I grew up in Mount Pleasant, Texas, and I was homeschooled up until I came here, which was having my mom as a teacher was also super great. And we didn't even know it before we came here, but we were very classical minded ever since we before we came here, which was super funny, which just created a, a great adjustment here. Yeah. Well, it's again, I love having you on because this is, again, we are here to walk next to you as a generation. And you guys are definitely as a generation uh, swimming in a, the opposite direction of the entire culture around you. And I think a lot of times folks look at classical Christian education, especially as a student, you think, boy, what is happening to me? Like, you know, you don't even have a choice. You show up in kindergarten, you get a uniform, and next thing you know, you're saying Latin things, all of a sudden you're doing a senior thesis. It's like, what is this all about? Um, you're at the end of it. Congratulations. You've So you're about Thank to graduate, you. just finished 
uh, presenting and defending your senior thesis, which you've entitled The Art of Classical Education, An Effort to Restore the Joy of Learning. I love this title. Tell me, how did you pick this topic? What provoked you to tackle something like this? So like I said, I'm very grateful for my education here. And going off into college, I knew that education was something that I was passionate about and something that I wanted to continue in. So I was touring the University of Arkansas, going through the Honors College, looking at the different majors, trying to have any idea of which one I was going to choose. And I noticed that they had a classical studies major, which I didn't know anything about. And as I was looking through that and the courses, I just realized that it was the culmination of everything that I was passionate about and that I wanted to immerse myself in and continue in learning. And I also realized that it was the continuation of everything that I learned in high school and my my middle school years here at CHCS. And I just... I thought that was super incredible, just everything that they offered. And I knew that that was something that I wanted to make other people more aware about and something that I wanted to continue in myself. So I wrote my thesis on it. And now it's directing you. And yeah, now you're off to college to continue studying classics. That's pretty amazing. Um, I, although I, I, I have to, I'm sure there are folks that are listening there, you know, and I've got my own, my son's graduating this year as a senior. And, you know, I don't think the goal of every classical Christian graduate is to go off and continue to study classics, but you caught the vision of this at a very deep level. And I think for a lot of students, again, as I was saying a moment ago, they, you know, it's one of those things that maybe they never fully understood it. They're they're benefiting from it, didn't really get it. But you specifically in your title and certainly in this amazing thesis that I had a chance to read is this idea of restoring the joy of learning. Do you think the joy, why do you think the joy is not uh, maybe there for a lot of students? Did and they've missed out on joy. Why was that a focal point? So I think in our culture right now, I think school has a kind of tedious connotation. I think a lot of kids think, oh, I have to go to school. I have to do this. I have to do ABC. I think it's very much thought of as a chore instead of a privilege, which breaks my heart a little bit. I just think being educated and choosing to enjoy your education is a great mindset to be in. And I think that kids these days, because they think they're forced to do it, it can seem tedious. And so do you see that? I mean, I guess even among, I I mean, I think it's easy for us as classical Christian people to kind of point across a proverbial fence and go over there at the government school or down the street at the so-and-so they do it this way. But I think even within our own walls, sometimes there are students, I mean, I, I'm sure you can think in your, I don't know, how many are in your graduating class? There are 15 in okay. my graduating okay. class. Okay, we won't name names, but I mean, I don't know that, <laughs> they, you know, that they all wake up in the morning with a joy of learning. Um, and so, I mean, for students that are not, maybe not experienced that, what do you think's behind maybe a lack of the joy that you, you have experienced? I think a lot of the times it can be a, a lack of understanding of the true privilege of education. I think a, a lack of edu- a lack of understanding of the privilege of education. I think whenever you are learning new things and learning why those things are important and how they apply and how they are relatable, I think that creates a culture of thankfulness and gratitude. And I think that once you start understanding 
not only how the world works itself, but like why it is important to learn things. I think that that is whenever you start to appreciate education. Yeah. And is this, are these observations you've just made on your own? I mean, I don't know how actively the school, and I've often said this, I think it'd be great if schools gathered periodically students together and just said, hey, let's, what are we trying to accomplish together? Why is education so important? It sounds like some of that you've kind of come to discover on your own as far as the value for education. I I think our school has done also an incredible job of helping me in that they've really delved into why things work, why we enjoy them, why they're enjoyable and how they're unified in Christ. I think my school has done an incredible job of just showing how our world is rooted in our creator God. And because he is the source of all things beautiful and how we all connect to that, I think they have done an incredible job of displaying the privilege of education. And I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Can, you know, you begin, I love the way you begin your thesis. You talk about kind of walking through a museum and there are all these great works and paintings and statues. And you're, you're talking about, you know, the typical student, they appreciate the surface aesthetical value of the art, but they care a little of its significance or background. And, you know, I think that's right. I think our culture today tends to skim across the top and they maybe don't even understand, uh, as you say, that education, um, education, the art that beautifies our everyday lives is losing its vigor. I think that's an interesting way to, to talk about it. So what, what do you think, again, classical Christian education is bringing this vigor um, of, of sort of deep connection and aesthetic value? Again, wh- how does that happen? And maybe how did that happen for you? Can you think of specific examples of art you've seen or books you've read that really awakened you in that way? For sure. I think through my study of art and literature, I think one of a very, a painting that's very significant to me is the creation of Adam um, by Michelangelo. I, it depicts Adam on his side, just reaching out towards God and God reaching down. And I think that is just an incredible picture of man's seeking of truth and seeking of God and things that are good and God reaching down to meet us, which I think is very beautiful and a picture of his grace and of his acceptance and love for us. And I think just looking at that and that being a visual example of so many lessons that we can learn in life, I I think that is incredible. Well, and what I love about, again, the emphasis is not just our knowledge and what's going on in our head, but I think to obviously, we'll talk about this um, after break in just a bit, but I mean, the, the, the competitive battle that we're in is really for the affections and for the loves. And, you know, again, when your peers are spending seven to nine hours a day on a, on a screen and it's basically appealing to emotions and feelings. And yet the classical Christian school is just basically, you know, potentially at risk of only competing with the head. And isn't that an interesting Sistine Chapel painting? And isn't that interesting? The colors that Michelangelo used, and isn't that interesting? These theological points that he's making, that can be very dry and uninspiring. And then you go get on your phone and it's way more exciting. And, and so, but you're saying that we can compete. It sounds like we can compete for the emotions and we can derive joy. Talk a little bit about that and maybe, you know, pick another example if you want or continue on with the Sistine Chapel and, and, uh, and the finger of God there coming down. Yes, absolutely. I think whenever people think of education or classical education, they can automatically assume very book smart 
very kind of uninvolved in emotions, which I just think is totally untrue because I think through proper education and application of intellect, you're able to feel and process your emotions more fully and richly. So that's not a, they're not mutually exclusive at all. I think education allows you to balance how you see the world and what you think about and how it affects you because ultimately, Ultimately, education is a seeking of truth, and because of our belief of the creator God as a source of all goodness, truth, and beauty, we can and should ground our emotions in that. So I think classical education provides an outlet to seek the Lord and better understand that connection between emotions and knowledge that allows students to have a strong connection with the things that they learn and how they're relatable and how that that makes them feel and how it is beautiful. And I think that's what creates an environment of joyful learning. Yeah, that's really well said. I mean, do you, this is just kind of a, an observation. I think sometimes the classical Christian folks, because we do tend to celebrate the intellectual, we kind of get stuck on that side of the fence perhaps. And, and maybe even depending on one's theological tradition and beliefs that, you know, even emotions and passions are, are scary things. And you got to be careful over there in that passion. Now you're getting into the world of, you know, the, um, the squishy stuff. <laughs> so, but if we don't deal in that, then I wonder if students are not going to be drawn to it. But again, you keep linking it back to joy is really the product or the objective we're aiming at and discovery. So um, it sounds like that's been very true for you. Yes, sir. For sure. I think that as we learn more about our world and about God, I think seeking that truth allows us to line up what we feel with what we know. And I think that just creates a very beautiful comparison. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. Well, we're going to take a quick break and come back and we're going to continue on talking about your thesis. And you you talk about not only does the fact that classical Christian education really is an amazing opportunity to discover joy and and really the hope and meaning in life itself, but also a derivative of it is confidence. And I, I think that's obviously for your generation and even for mine in a culture of anxiety, like confidence would be a pretty amazing thing to be able to instill in people. And I want to hear more about how you see this form of education bringing about confidence. We'll take a quick break and be right back in just a moment. Hi, I'm Brad Leyland, CEO of The Focus Group. Our mission is to advance the kingdom of God by building trusting relationships with our clients and providing them with expertise and guidance to accelerate the funding of their vision. Effectively, we want to see God make all things new through the work of our clients. Over the past decade, we've partnered with dozens of classical Christian schools in helping them build new buildings, renovate old buildings, and do far more than they ever dreamed or imagined. We are honored to play a role in the growth of this very important movement. If your school is ready to go to the next level, we'd love to talk with you. For more information, please visit us at thefocusgroup.com backslash classical. Welcome back to Basecamp Live here with Christina talking about this amazing thesis that she's written on the art of classical education and the effort to restore the joy of learning. Boy, what would happen to our world today, Christina, if, if people became joyful for all the right reasons? Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be incredible. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, what's, what's your diagnosis if you just looked around your peers and it doesn't have to be the 14 other seniors you're graduating with, but just sort of as a, as a, as a, you know, an age group, but you know, your peers in the broader world today, um, it seems like there's a lot of, a lot of folks struggling today. What's your assessment? Well, I think a huge issue right now that's very prevalent is social media and the media in general. I know I've definitely experienced a lot of just pressures that can come from that, just constantly being bombarded with what to do, where, how to think, how to live. I, it, it's a nightmare, honestly, that people are constantly dealing with. And I feel like kids don't even know what to believe anymore because they just accept everything that's thrown at them, just this constant influx of information. And it creates this huge whirlpool of conflicting thoughts and general feelings of inadequacy that they just don't know how to deal with. Yeah. Well, as you're talking, I'm like, we've got to do a podcast. If you can gather some of your friends, I'd love to, again, I think this is, this is the real world that we're dealing with. And I, I think we all certainly can tout the virtues of classical Christian education as you're doing in the paper. But what I love is you're, you know, digging in now into this, uh, this idea of confidence, which is really the antidote to the world of anxiety that so many people are in. So, you know, I'd love to hear, let's talk a little bit about what you wrote about in the thesis. And then I'd love just practically like, you know, how, what's your wisdom, um, necessarily in the thesis, but obviously the, the pull of social media, the pull of the seven to whatever it may be, seven to nine hours. And it's always like, Oh, that's the kids down the street, but I'm not so sure we're not all that different in some ways, but talk, Mm -hmm. but go ahead, share with us a little bit. Why do why do you, um, how do you see classical Christian education is really, providing that antidote of confidence? Yeah, for sure. So I think in my education and in classical education, it does such an incredible job of equipping students with the tools that they need to face the world, whether specifically, I think, in public speaking, I think that's a huge one that just people don't know or are not comfortable with with doing. I think that classical education provides the proper logic and the proper rhetoric skills to do that well and comfortably. And I think growing in your education with that, just having that constant practice in everyday classes, that constant reassurance and encouragement from teachers and peers, I think that really helps build a student up. And I think that confidence shows itself not only in those things, but once you learn how to do that, you can start applying that to everyday life and interview skills and speeches and conversations with peers. And I think that just that confidence starts to manifest itself just yeah. in the soul of the student it's themselves. Well, they say what public speaking is like second fear right next to death itself. I mean, it's, it's pretty high. So, and here you are on a podcast of all things doing quite well. So you're, you're, um, you're doing amazingly well for a Thank high school you. senior on a podcast, which I think is, is the living example of your exact point that you can be confident. And do you, so, I mean, again, in contrast to so many, you know, peers out there in the world, it seems to me as kind of the old guy observing there's, I mean, I, a lot of students can't even have a conversation unless they just text each other. I mean, it's kind of, it's pretty mm-hmm. sad. I mean, is that, are you seeing that too? Yes, sir, for sure. In my thesis, I talked about the rejection of public speaking by the students themselves. So the education system right now is not great at including 
public speaking and its curriculums, I feel like they, it is very much built up to be this big presentation, this big important thing that only rolls around once every so often. So it's not constant and it's not reinforced very strongly. And I think the students themselves, because that culminates in such a stressful experience, they start to reject that. Mm. And so I wrote about one student in my paper that claims that public speaking and big presentations are discriminatory towards those with anxiety, (laughs) which in reality, whenever, which I, I've struggled with anxiety myself, but I think the main antidote to that, to help that is not to shy away from it, but to face it head on with people that are going to encourage you, that are going to offer constructive criticism with your best interests in mind, which is what education, classical education Mm. does. It builds up strongly. There's no, the intent is never to make the student feel smaller. I talk about in one part of my thesis that the intent of a classical teacher is not to sink down to the level of the student, but to raise the student to the level of the teacher. And so whenever you have that strong foundation of people that are so willing to help you, that is the best thing that you can do to overcome that anxiety Mm. is just to continue to practice and immerse yourself in that. Well, and and to your point, you know, it's really about habit formation and it's about Mm -hmm. familiarity. So you talk, talk a little bit about speech meet because you've referenced it in here. You know, (laughs) you, you, you joined, as you said earlier in fifth grade. So it sounds like you hit the ground right into speech meet early on. Yes, sir. So speech meet is an annual little competition that I did for a very long time. So you can choose prose, Bible prose, Bible stories, poetry, Bible verses. A lot of people did speeches from just famous speeches from presidents, from political figures that have just been important to our history. And so you pick which one you want to recite and you spend time practicing that in front of people, in front of your parents, in front of your peers and classes, just any chance you get to say it. It's always just that repetition in front of people that just helps build that confidence. And then you go and you recite it for a panel of judges and they offer criticism, constructive criticism, and they and there's there's normally awards given out to certain students that exceed exceptionally in that. And it's just it's a very incredible experience that I am very grateful for because it not only helped me develop good habits of memorization and recitation in front of people, but it also helped with my performance of abilities in public speaking and my confidence in general well, for that. As you're saying all that, Christine, I'm thinking, you know, to a modern educator, there's at least three or four things that you've just said that are offensive and triggering. You've already said that you're going to ask a student to have to stand up and do something that they're not comfortable with, which you talked about. And, and now you're going to actually ask people to uh, critique it. So now you're, you're judging people and you're creating elitist moments. So, I mean, th- there, there's so many <laughs> aspects of what, what we do that even starting in the early grammar school, to your point, are actually working the opposite of what they would say is the problem. You're actually engendering confidence and, and, and yes. familiarity. So like, well, yeah, whatever, I'll stand up and, and, you know, and be able to uh, speak. And, you know, so someday when you're at a friend's wedding and you're being asked to, you know, talk about the bride, you know, I know a lot of 
folks that this would be you know, like, I'd rather have my arm cut off than have to stand in front of a bunch of people and say that. And you would be able to just, sure, I've been doing that since third grade. So there's a confidence. Sure. Yeah. Well, what you also reference in this section about how it, classical Christian students, students are moving from creating to expressing. What? How do you mm-hmm. see those as differences? So I think once a student has been taught to formulate their own opinions reasonably with those critical thinking skills that are reinforced so strongly, it becomes a part of your everyday life. So you start being able to examine the world around you, picking it apart, realizing what's true, realizing what you can apply. And then you have that standard of wisdom and virtue that classical education is so good about reinforcing. And so once you have that standard and you've created that standard of how you should live and rooting your and grounding yourself in truth and goodness, then you begin, you begin to live that out. Mm-hmm. And it, that becomes a part of who you are, like a foundational knowledge. And it reveals itself through your thoughts and through your words and through your actions. So once you start being able to analyze the world around you and how it works and creating your own opinions based on what you've learned from educating yourself, then you begin to express that in your life. Yep. Well, you know, people often, we use the word liberal arts. I think most people listening are aware of the term liberal arts doesn't mean like left wing, left wing arts or left. I mean, it means it's, it's liberating from a state of sort of being in servitude. And I think about, as you described that confidence, isn't that what we want people who are free thinking? I mean, you're graduating into a world that's bombarding you every second, literally Mm -hmm. with, with messages and agendas and, and to be able to assess what's in front of you and discern wisely. I mean, I, I mean, who wouldn't want that? And I, I, mm-hmm. obviously that engenders confidence too, because you're not just blown around like a emotional or intellectual tumbleweed, not knowing what's, what's truly true. So, mm-hmm. well, let's, uh, I want to continue on. There's so much here. And in fact, we should just, um, we should just have you read the whole thing, although that would be a long podcast because <laughs> it's really good. But I want to, I want to, we'll take one more break and we're going to come back. And I know another point of emphasis as you're talking about how to help students find this joy of learning in classical Christian education is obviously the role that literature plays. And that's a, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's one of our go to an open house at any classical Christian school. You hear about the great books that we read, and they're not great just because somebody says they're great. They're great because they really have stood the test of time and they mm-hmm. transform us. And I think folks will be interested to hear from your vantage point, having read. It'd be interesting to see if it's your 12th grade year to go back and do like, what was the word count on how many books did you read? How many words did you cover? I, <laughs> I, I, I think it'd be a very large number, but the point is, uh, I think so too. <laughs> that literature uh, was, uh, was transformative and it's, it's certainly part of that process of bringing joy. So we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back with Christina and continue this wonderful conversation. He's worked with families for more than 30 years as a licensed professional counselor and marriage family therapist. It's time for a quick encouragement on the best practices of raising the next generation. We call it a McCurdy moment. Keith, as we're coming out of COVID, the world is opening up. Are are parents maybe changing in the way that they perceive their children? Do they frame up their actions in a different way? What are you seeing? You know, I have this conversation all the time with parents, and I will tell you, I don't think it has anything to do with COVID. It's a trend that's been changing for generations. We view our children as fragile. 
as opposed to viewing them as built well to exist and function in this world. And when you view a child as fragile, whether you know it or not subconsciously, we bubble wrap them. We start clearing obstacles out of the way. We, we pitch a narrative to them that if they are ever uncomfortable or, or not happy with something, that they're a victim. The opposite though is if we view them as built well as God has made them, built well to function in this world, then we onboard them to life with vigor. I mean, we drag them right into life. We start teaching them things and equipping them. And, you know, I remember growing up and, and one of the things that was very commonplace when I was a kid was you'd fall down and somebody would say, ah, rub it off, rub some dirt on it, walk it off. That is not the mentality we have today. And, and so we really got to decide, how am I going to view my child? Am I going to view them as culture says, which is they're fragile, or am I going to view them as God says, because he built them capable to function in this world? Yeah. It will change how we deal with our children. I think probably just being self-aware of the questions we asked to your point about the falling down. I mean, it seems like the the pre, you know, premier question of all right now is, are you okay? Which just lends itself to probably, I'm not okay, and here's my challenge of the moment I'm having, oh, parent, help me. As opposed well, to there's an interesting thing. If you if you go to a playground and, and if you reflect on this and you, you pay much attention to young kids, you will see this. A kid falls down and the parent that says, are you okay? The child will think and, and, and <laughs> then get okay. upset. And that, right. <laughs> if, however, you will see another parent often who has like six children there and the child falls down and the parent says, oh, get up, you're fine. The child gets up and takes off and goes to play. Yeah. The parent is giving that child an identity that you're okay. Yeah, it's brilliant. Versus setting a child up to evaluate, what does okay mean? Well, and you see that everywhere. There was a little Instagram meme reel I saw recently, and the gist of it was kind of four decades of sort of, you know, adolescent life. And the first decade in the 80s or whenever it was, you know, the kid's walking through a crowd and somebody bumps into his shoulder and he just kind of pulls himself, straightens up, keeps going. And the next is you know the 90s and the 2000s and by the time you get to present day he gets bumped in the crowd he immediately falls on the ground balls up and then he starts gets his phone out and hashtags hurt victim can't make it like yeah that's about where it's that's at. exactly what i'm talking that's where about. it's at yeah. and we gotta avoid yeah, that I, at all cost <laughs> well our, think of it this way our job as parents is to inform our children about who they really are right and and it, and it goes even to this basic thing you are sturdy you are capable yeah. you will be and speak words of affirmation and blessing, not cursing over your children. So that's exactly. a great, awesome. Great. Thanks so much, Keith. Got a question for Keith to answer on a future McCurdy moment? Well, send it to us at info at basecamplive.com and learn more about Keith McCurdy on the speaking page on the Basecamp Live website. Welcome back to Basecamp. Continue my conversation here with Christina about the senior thesis that she has written. And Christina, this is a, you know, we were just saying over the break, what a, what a important voice that you have right now to your peers. And I think there's just so many folks, especially that are earlier in the journey. Maybe it's a parent whose children are in grammar school and they're thinking, wow, we have a lot ahead in this giant thesis thing, which is the capstone of classical Christian schools. And I, I always like to brag about the thesis because it's, it's impressive. I mean, honestly, I've talked to so many of our graduates who, 
you know, crank out this 25, 30 page paper. They've defended it in front of a panel and they go off to college and they're asked to write a three page paper and all the folks in their freshman hallway are, you know, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you're like, that is not a problem. Let me write the three page paper and I'll defend it and I'll provide it orally if you prefer. So <laughs> you're, uh, you're well prepared. Well, let's jump back in. You uh, continue in your, in your argument here in your thesis for why classical Christian education is really going to restore the joy of learning. Um, critical to this process is literature. So I would love to share with me a little bit about why, obviously at the crux of this is all these great books. Why is literature so important and it's so needed to be understood to be something that is joyful and enjoyable? Mm -hmm. So I think in education right now, in a lot of your public schools, literature is, and reading is just a check mark, a part of a curriculum. And it feels very rushed. We have to get this done. So let's read it and move on to the next one. Um, and I think in that rushing, there is such a loss of depth of study and relatability and your students are losing that opportunity for the emotional connection and the application to everyday life. So I, I think the importance of literature is not just to read a story. Yes, a story is a segue, but it's a segue to understand things. Like there's deeper meanings that are so important that if you just take a little time and you delve into that, there are so many things that you can learn from literature. And in applying that to your own life, not only is that an incredible ability to have an incredible opportunity, but it is, it is also so useful in taking those lessons and learning from the relatability of those characters, celebrating their victories and mourning their losses with them. That allows you to go into life taking the lessons that you learn from them, from their experiences and being able to apply that. And I think that is an incredible privilege. So do you think maybe because so many schools choose to take the easy route of using an anthology or a pre-digested kind of summary textbook snippets of it, that what they're giving students is really not very inspiring and therefore they don't love the literature and then the whole point of presenting it is missed out? Is that basically what you're saying? That because we're reading the full book, the long form, we're able to really get into the depth where the meat is and the joy. Mm. I I think that there definitely is a, you, you, whenever you're rushing through it so quickly, you don't get to even be as emotionally invested. So that causes you to not enjoy it. Share me some examples. There must be countless ones for you where you became emotionally invested in your literature. Well, that's, there's a t-shirt for classical Christian. I am emotionally invested in my literature. Oh. <laughs> I'll have to well, work on that shirt. Yeah. What, I, I, would, I would buy one. <laughs> what does that mean? All right, so give me an example. Where were you emotionally invested? For sure. So I think one of my favorite examples that I can think of recently is this year, beginning of the year, we read Tale of Two Cities, which I remember being in, I think, sixth or seventh grade. My sister was a was in high school or maybe my older brother and they, they had read tale of two cities and they just raved about how incredible it was. And then I, you know, I kind of forgot about it. And then this, this year rolled around and we started reading it. And 
I there I have one classmate who has never been super fond of reading. He's always done it, but he's never just it's it's never connected with him until this year, which I think was just an incredible thing to watch as we worked through this book and this incredible story of sacrifice and love and fighting for what you believe in and justice. I really saw him I saw that change how he thought. And because that was the first book we read this year, throughout the rest of the year, he was so excited with every new book that we got. He was always reading ahead and we had the most vibrant discussion. We were always talking about it. And it was always just such an incredible experience. Whenever you have your students so invested in these these lessons and this these stories, it creates a class that is so much fun to be a part of. And whenever that's happening, I mean, you have students that are so excited to come and learn, which I think is so incredible. And that's where the joy of literature lies in, in relating that with other people and just being able to dive into that. So do you ever get together for fun on the weekends, maybe with some of your same classmates and you watch a movie and you're, you get done with, you're like, that was kind of lame. Like that wasn't even rich. It wasn't (laughs) have any depth. (laughs) I, I definitely find myself doing that fairly often. I'll watch something. I'll just, I'll I'll finish it. I'll say that, that that had no, no depth. It was, it was, (laughs) it was very shallow, which I mean, I can always appreciate I, I mean, I appreciate the work that went into it, but I, I find myself not enjoying things that yeah. have not a lot of meaning, <laughs> which is a blessing yet a curse. Yeah. Well, I think it, I, we talk on the show sometimes, it's like, you know, so much of the world offers Fruit Loops and Fruit Loops are fun and they're colorful and they're sweet and they're tasty, but you, you can only eat so many Fruit Loops. And obviously we should be eating our vegetables. And and I think your your affections have been shaped since the earliest days of loving what is true and good and beautiful. And it's not, and you're not a stuffy person. I mean, again, I think that's the perception is that, well, there's a certain subpopulation of kids that love these very dry old things, but you're not describing dry and old. I don't hear that at all. I I think for sure that in our culture, especially in my generation, because of media and everything that's constantly thrown at them, it's very centered on instant gratification. I want something, I want it now, and I don't want to do any work to get it. And I think that promotes a lot of laziness and lack of discipline and apathy. And whenever you grow up in that culture, it's very difficult to break that cycle. And because everyone around you, all of your peers are are constantly telling you like, Oh, that's okay. Like, that's just how it is, which causes people to not want to do anything that is not instant gratification. So I think in that you have kids that don't want to read anymore because I mean, you can give them an endless cycle of social media that can just scroll and scroll and scroll. It's different. Every scroll, it's always different. There's something new entertaining at your fingertips all the time. Whereas a book, you have to sit through the whole plot, the rising exposition. You have to wait for the climax and the resolution. It's, it, it takes time yeah. and discipline. Yeah. And I think people are just not willing to do that because it doesn't come as easily and, 
as quickly as technology. And I think they're missing out on the good habits that reading develops, which is discipline and critical thinking, analysis and reasoning, as well as the simple life lessons that you can gain from that literature. Well, I think, you know, you mentioned as an example, the young man who was maybe a little less than engaged and then sort of had this awakening and discovery um, there in class. And then he was anticipating now, all of a sudden you realize, well, these, these old books aren't so dry and dusty after all. There's, <laughs> there's actually something alive in them that I want more of. And it's, you've created a, an appetite. I, you know, as you're, ta- as you're describing that, I think about, it's kind of like the difference in fast food and slow food. You know, there's been sort of this revival of the slow food movement where people are like, yeah, that's going to mean I got to chop it up and I got to cook it and I got to think about it. But after an hour and a half of prep, oh my gosh, that was amazing. And I don't, mm-hmm. I can't get that out of a French fry. So <laughs> I think it's, but so, but for those listening that, and again, I think sometimes, you know, you take any classroom, you've got 15 in there, you're going to get some people that they're just, God wired them naturally towards an interest in literature and writing and great ideas and then there are other kids maybe it's more the boys not stereotype and you know they're just kind of like yeah i mean this is that stuff's okay but i'm really not that interested in it and i'm just kind of getting my way through it what would you say to maybe that person that's not quite caught it yet the vision isn't there they've never had the slow food they've kind of they hear about it but they're just kind of tolerating it what would you any words of encouragement well, I think I think the beauty of classical education is that even with those students, they are still always willing. Like I think classical education because you've done it for so long, you're you're always willing to try something new. You're always willing to learn. And I think that is the gateway to appreciation to cherishing that. So I think it's definitely a process. And, you know, so obviously everyone is different. You're not going to have people that are always so, so excited, but I think classical education does such an incredible job of teaching their students to appreciate that. And our teachers are so well-prepared to teach the lessons that come out of that. So some, whether sometimes it's forced on them a little bit because it's just because our teachers do do such an incredible job of bringing that out, bringing out that context, that history, that meaning and that depth. And so I think maybe at first, if they don't initially connect with that, I think through deeper study and through the incredible job of our teachers, they end up enjoying it. Yeah. Anyways. Well, I've, you, you certainly must have amazing teachers or you keep referencing them. And it sounds like, too, what I'm hearing you say they do is not just simply teach the information within the literature. Like, here's the structure and the, I mean, at a very kind of wooden literary analysis kind of standpoint. But they're looking for ways to extract out the great ideas and then they're contextualizing it to the real world. So I'm thinking again about the guy sitting next to you is going, I don't this isn't, what does Dante have to do with, you know, what I'm going to do this afternoon? And it sounds like your teachers are helping you make that transference and, or that connection to, no, this has everything to do with the world we're in today. Because again, For I, sure. so talk a little bit about that. Cause I know in your uh, refutation, you, you, you know, where you're coming saying, here's often the, the critiques of classical Christian is that it's repetitive and irrelevant. Um, and I think tying all this together, I mean, your counter argument is, no, this is very relevant for today. So how, talk about that, because I think there's maybe perceptions or felt feelings of some students that this is just, 
I'm just digging up old dirt here and looking at it and I'm not sure what it has to do with anything. Oh, for sure. I think whenever people think about classical education and the things that we're constantly learning and diving into, they, they're, they always seem to think that it doesn't apply to them now, which I mean, people, people can pick up a big book like war and peace and they can read it and they just be, this is so boring. I don't understand any of this or why it's relevant, but I think there's a difference between just reading through something with only the knowledge that you have about that and then sitting down and understanding the language that it's written in, understanding its historical context and significance and understanding why the things that the characters are doing relate to that historical significance. And I think once you understand, you start to understand the things surrounding the work itself, the work becomes much more enjoyable. And I think because people don't understand a lot of the times the things surrounding the work, they can become it seems dry and unimportant and you lose a lot of that depth in that. Hmm. That's really well said. I think it's, so I think kind of giving a vision to students early on to say, Hey, here's what, this is what can happen as we explore this and that this can be relevant, relevant for today. Maybe too often we, the adults and teachers jump right into the, again, kind of the mechanics of the, the literary lesson and maybe don't take the time to kind of set the bigger stage against, no, this has everything to do with, with the world today. Well, I want to kind of leave you with, or leave everybody with a kind of a final question and answer. So I'm thinking about this idea in, in your thesis where you're talking just about, you know, advancing the culture um, of classical Christian education kind of into the outside world. So we've covered a lot of ground and I think this would make, this would be a great open house discussion and maybe folks will use this as a, as a resource to give to prospective parents. But what would you say? I mean, let's just set up that scenario for a minute. We're at an open house. You've been asked to stand up and you've got a minute or two just to kind of give some encouragement for if this is kind of the folks in the outside world, what, what encouragement would you give them about the urgent need for classical Christian education? I think the, excuse me. I think the first step that we need to take is simply speaking about classical education. I think not nearly as many people know about it as, as they should. I, my mom was a college professor for a really long time and she was talking to her kids about certification exams. And she was telling about our, like her children's experience in the classical model. And her students were asking, they, they said, where, where was this whenever I was a student? Like, this seems so incredible. How, how do I get involved in that? And I think that's the first step is just simply speaking about classical education to people. And I think once people begin to see the incredible effect that that has on the students and how they see the world and how they are confident and ready to take on the world and grateful for the education that they receive, I know I have, we've had people come in super late to our class, um, senior year, junior year, multiple times, just in my brothers and sisters class, people coming super late and they just talk about how grateful they are for this experience. And I've also spoken to people who have, who have left our school for various reasons. Just how does 
the school that you're going to now compare to with what you've known your whole life. And over and over and over again, what I've heard is I have never experienced education like I have at CHCS and that depth and that how they prepare their students, how classical education prepares its students. It's, it's, it's hard to find anywhere else. It's just an incredible process. And I know in my own life, I am so, so grateful for the education that I've had because I, and I'm, I think that it's something that's going to, I mean, obviously I'm going to take it with me to the university of Arkansas and I'm going to continue that and hopefully make that more aware to other people and just how beautiful it is. It's not a chore. It's not something that people are forcing you to do. It's something that is enjoyable and learning and educating yourself and finding out more and more about the world around you, why it's so beautiful. And I think that that should be available and accessible to everyone. And that's what I'm trying to promote and help people learn about. Well, we are so grateful for you, Christine. I love what God's doing in your life as a high school senior. I cannot wait to see where you end up and the book you write and all the things that are coming your way. As you're talking, I'm thinking about years ago, I remember somebody saying, you know, Jonathan Edwards um, was, uh, you know, a great pastor and leader. And, but he was part in part who he was because he, as he described, he stood on the shoulders of his father who stood on the shoulders of his grandfather. So basically he hit the ground with truth already in him. And he was able to build on that. And I think for so many of us in this movement, that's arguably only about 40 years old, most schools are 20, 25 years old, um, that have been even around, lots of them are starting. But the point is like, you're, how exciting it is to talk to you and to think you're hitting the ground with all of this already understood. I mean, most of us, we were halfway through life and didn't have this education. So for you to have, be able to stand on the shoulders of your parents and your teachers and to move out into the world um, I'm excited for how God is going to use you in this way. And I really love your, you have a contagious enthusiasm for this education that we talk about every day. And what an honor to get to to talk with you. And we definitely will make your senior thesis available to folks on, on our show notes that want to come and read the full copy of what you've you've had to say. But thank you so much for your time and your effort. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Well, you're welcome. We'll have you back when you get uh, get through college. We'll get the next chapter all in your right. life all figured out. So. <laughs> All right. Well, blessings to you. Thanks so much, Christina. Hey, Basecamp Live listeners. This is Hannah, Davy's daughter here. Thank you for tuning into this episode. I can confidently say that my kindergarten through college classical Christian education has become a critical part of my life. It formed and trained me to be a strong leader, to love God. And now as a married young adult, it's really created a foundation for me to go out into the world world that's getting crazier by the day. So thank you for listening to this podcast. It's absolutely critical what's being discussed here. If you could take a moment and send an email to info at basecamplive.com. Let us know where you're from, where you're listening, what's on your mind. We're so grateful that you're part of this Basecamp Live community. Thank you for being here. Please do tell a friend and give a five-star rating on your podcast listening platform. Thank you so much. See you next time.